You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26ers, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Demariano Hill. Demariano is a senior data analyst at VaynerMedia and the founder of Savvy Excel. He spent his early childhood in one of the most violent neighborhoods in California. But after relocating and excelling in high school, he was admitted to Texas Southern University. During his time in college, DeMariano became passionate about how government works and eventually worked for the Texas League of Young Voters. After pursuing a master's in public policy from Claremont Graduate University and working as a political representative, DeMariano leveraged his analytical skills to transition to the private sector and now works with data from companies like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to help clients reach business objectives. Like most 26ers, it's not always easy to dedicate time and energy to both a job and a business. But of course, we discuss how he's making it happen. So take a listen and please enjoy. Mariano, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming here. Me. Thank you for having me. Well, I have to say, you've had, you have one of the brightest smiles that I've, I've seen come through the door at the December 26th podcast. Probably the best hair on a man <laughs> ever to appear on the show. Um, and one of the most supportive girlfriends, know, uh, right? for sure, who's here capturing the behind-the-scenes footage. The total package. Right? Look at that. See, you, you're starting off strong. <laughs> I know, right? A bit more of that. So yeah. let's get into it. Who is Demariano Hill? Who's Demariano Hill? So um, I would say uh, just like a young uh, African American man, just finding his way, honestly. Uh, and what that means, you know, just growing up, uh, being from the Bay Area, from Richmond, California, kind of growing up in. Uh, you know, one of those families, right? Like mom, grandma, uncle, all in one house, like a good family structure. Uh, grew up in the Bay, went to live uh, in Sacramento with my dad, went to high school, had a great upbringing, great high school experience, great friends, football, ran track, like an all-around athlete. Just had like a really great foundation, foundational period in my life. Then uh, what's next? Went to college, Texas Southern University, shout out TSU, um, H-Town, you know, being from California, but made in the H family, you know, uh, Southern ties all around. And then taking those foundational years in Houston, where I got like great mentors, great education, like great college experience, great experience in the South. Uh, went down to LA, got my uh, master's in public policy, where I kind of developed a little bit more professionally, started working in politics, working for the California state legislature, realized that I was more into, I, felt, I realized that the change was a little bit slow coming from that perspective. I would have to work my way up as like through politics instead of like just working on the things that I cared about. So, but I was interested in like analytics. So I went corporate or media side and I worked for a TV media agency doing like uh, campaign and out campaign analysis, like TV analysis, um, like creative rotations, like network optimization, stuff like that. Just making sure like brands keep their like cost and everything in line with their goals. And uh, now in New York, doing what I do for a digital advertising agency where I do the same thing, but like, you know, across like Facebook ads, Google search, YouTube, all that stuff. So 
So take me back to growing up in Richmond, because right. people are going to know the Bay Area for Oakland, for San Francisco, right. and things like that. I have been to Richmond. You've been to Richmond? I have, believe okay. it or not. Yeah. And Richmond's not a game. Right. So so take me back to what it was like growing up there. Man, I was actually just talking to my grandma about this, because Richmond is really not where you want to be, but it commands a certain level of respect when you are able to make it out of there. Mm-hmm. I have... Um, but interestingly enough, I was that kind of like nerdy kid in the family. Like we were in Richmond, I would like want to hang out with my uncles who were like doing stuff and they were like moving around in the city, but I couldn't leave the block. So mm-hmm. being confined to that block really, you know, I mean, I kind of snuck off when you when I could, you know what I mean? But I think uh, being confined to that block really like, A, like I was just one of those kids like that kind of colored inside the lines. Mm-hmm. Like I really wasn't too rambunctious. Like I used to skateboard in Richmond. Like I think one Christmas I asked for like a, a rail so I could skate. And I remember like people walking by like, <laughs> what is this kid doing? Mm-hmm. You know, now it's cool now. So I don't know. But uh, it was good though. Like I got great foundation, man. I mean, you I mean anyone growing up with like that family structure where like everyone's in your grandma's house mm-hmm. and then everyone's like doing their own thing but you guys all come together you know at the end of the day or like that weekend you're all cleaning up the house with the incense burning and those Saturday morning like music vibes going so that was it like I really wouldn't be who I am had it not been for like those foundational Richmond ties you know. So what was the impetus to take you out of that family unit and send you to Sacramento to be with your dad? Because like what you were saying, like the school system in Richmond wasn't that great. And, uh, you know, fortunately enough, like my mom and my dad put me through private school at an elementary age. But I got to the point where I really wanted to have like a normal life. Like I was tired of wearing school clothes. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like I wanted like a normal life. But um it just, Richmond just wasn't going to be the place that they felt comfortable for me to come up. And so my dad had remarried and him and his wife moved to Sacramento and Elk Grove is where like one of those neighborhoods where like people from the Bay Area, like you go there, it was like a little bit cheaper before mm-hmm. like the housing market exploded. So you can get like a good house out there for like 200, 300,000 and on the Bay Area salary. So you're commuting into the Bay Area, but mm-hmm. you're living in Sacramento. So like the perfect suburb, but also you're still making that Bay Area money. You know what I'm saying? So my dad lived out there and then, you know, like I didn't cause any trouble on Richmond. So I just kind of had like a lot of free space, like freedom to grow, freedom to create, like in Sacramento. Like I said, like uh, just playing football, like defensive captain, like, mm-hmm. you know, being able to get like leadership experience and qualities at a young age. And then I was like in student government, you know what I mean? So I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know, just blessed, like great family. I don't know what else to say about it. So what made you decide after having grown up in Richmond, moving to Sacramento, um, to go from a place like that to Texas? Gotcha. So... I'm from Richmond, but all my family is from the South. Mm -hmm. So, like, we were just talking about this, but everyone from Richmond is either from, like, Louisiana or Texas or, like, some part, like, Mississippi, Tennessee-ish. So, I used to go home every summer. So, my parents would, like, shit me off back to, like, my grandparents Mm -hmm. out there. So, my... My mom's side and my dad's side knew each other before both of them were born. So, like, my grandparents went to high school together. Wow. In a small town, Maringouin, Louisiana, and Grove State. Um, and so all my family's out there. So I got, like, cousins out there. I would go out there, like, every summer, 4th of July. Like, you could pop fireworks, but you can't do fireworks in California. Uh, <laughs> or in, like, Richmond, so I used to go home. But uh, I had, like, deep Southern ties already. And then when it was time to go to college, I uh, I was supposed to walk on to Fresno State, but it was like a moment where I realized that 
I'm actually, like, if I'm smart enough to get in and then I have to walk onto the team, then I'm probably smart enough to just go to college mm -hmm. without football. So then that kind of clicked and I just started applying to like a bunch of schools. And then like my family was like, you should apply to HBCU. I was like, bet. And so I got into like a couple of schools. I think I was like Arizona State and like a couple of like UC schools. But then I was like, I want to get up out of California <laughs> for a half minute. So yeah, but like just, I think those strong Southern ties, like growing up made me comfortable, like being able to go to Houston and withstand the heat. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so what was that like kind of stepping on this campus of an HBCU, which is a whole world in and of itself? Yeah. I mean, HBCUs are where it's at. Hey, I saw Beyonce did the homecoming. Not everybody <laughs> fucking with it. All right. You know, but uh, it's cool, though. It's, I mean, like I said, I used to, I would be like me and about three other cats with like skateboard on mm -hmm. campus. And like that wasn't popular in like 2009. Like no one was skating at HBCU. So I was kind of like swole. I still, I skateboarded. I was kind of still swole from football and I was just like a California dude. So it was like a weird enough. <laughs> that, that, middle. you're yeah. definitely an odd duck on an yeah. HBCU with that combination. But I was just doing me, like I was chilling. And then, uh, it was good though. Like, so there's a small faction of people from like California that go to HBCUs and they just call everybody Cali. So, like, no matter what your name is, like, everyone's Cali. So, uh, it was good, though. Like, I probably probably wouldn't be where I am. Like, just, it was my first time seeing, like, Black people in such, like, I don't know. I felt like Wakanda or something like that. Like, the first time, like, when you step in, you're like, oh, dang. Like, being from California, like, I was around all races. But then, like, being in a Black experience like that, like, at such a foundational age, like, a, with a positive outlook on life, that was pretty great. Like, you know, I just, I mean, you have, like, Greek life, you had your student government, you had a football team, you had the band, you had, you know, your drummers, you had like, you know, mixers and you had professors that look like you. Like it was literally like a ridiculously great experience like every day. So, so w at one point in the college experience, did you start to feel like I kind of know what I want to do after this? <sighs> Man, uh, so when I start, like, I think so how I started was I had a political science professor, Christina Sanders. And she ran a nonprofit called the Texas League of Young Voters at the time. And she would give extra credit to anyone that would come volunteer. So I volunteered, obviously. And then that volunteering snowballed to me leading her operations for like voter outreach throughout the state of Texas. So by junior year, I was organizing campaigns for the 2012 election. Now we were nonpartisan, but you're talking about like, we're going to neighborhoods in Houston, mm -hmm. like knocking doors, like in the summer, humidity, but I'm able to grab like 20 of my friends from school, going to like third ward or going to like fifth ward or wherever, register people and then come back and have them all do it like the next day. Mm -hmm. So we were registering people all throughout Texas, like Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, like um, we even, and this wasn't minus, this necessarily wasn't my idea, but we even like through comedy shows. Mm. And so like we would have comedy artists, like all you had to do was register to get in. I think Ali Sadiq was one of the cats. Like there's a big, there's like a low key Houston comedy circuit. And like, we would grab those guys. We had like 97.9 in the box, like all these outlets come and like support us getting out the vote. Cause it was a very grassroots movement at the time. And uh, we ended up, I don't know if you remember, but like at the time, that's when like a lot of the voter ID laws were coming yeah. out. And so uh, I ended up being a student intervener on the voter ID laws. And so what that showed me was that even though I was working hard, like even though we were knocking doors, like our sweat, you know what I'm saying, our time, like we were spending our summer as kids, like registering people to vote. Then I realized like this one policy can undo everything. And that really struck me like, 
how's this one policy able to under like undercut everything that I'm done for the past two years? You know what I'm saying? So at that point, that's when I started to focus on like, maybe I'm in the wrong side of the game. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe policy is where it's at. Cause I felt like I was like just subject to whatever was going to come, like the next policy that was going to come. And so from there, I had another mentor who's a fraternity brother of mine. And he laid out the groundwork for me to go to grad school, kind of gave me like the blueprint and was like, if you want to do this, here's how you can do it. And I had the motivation with my other mentor saying like, you should do it Mm -hmm. because you can do it and we need you to do it. So from there, I kind of had like a good foundation and know like what direction I wanted to go after that. So for people who don't know, what is a student intervener? So student intervener, um, essentially, like I wasn't, like I kind of just like, like presented myself as an example of someone that would be disenfranchised from the voter ID law. So I would have to have a Texas ID at the time, but because I'm a California resident and like that would just affect like my tuition, like my mm-hmm. FAFSA, all that, um, you know, that would affect like my scholarship arrangements and all that. So I would have to, if I would have converted to a Texas resident, like I would have been able to vote, but I would have lost like all this other stuff that comes along with it. So it'd be in my best interest for the long run to stay a California student. But at that time, like I technically wouldn't be able to vote in Texas. Mm-hmm. So me saying like, hey, this law is actually disenfranchising me as a California resident is me presenting my case on, you know, a uh, like on this policy, like why mm-hmm. it would be unconstitutional. Got it. So we hear these stories of like student athletes who are wholly focused on being an athlete, right? So yeah. going to high school, trying to get into a Division One program, and then trying to go pro or just be a coach yeah. or what have you. What attributed, do you think, to your sort of well-rounded view of your interests? Um, I don't know. I think, honestly, like, I got into sports late. So mm-hmm. I was already a nerd, you know? Like, I was already, like I won, like, science fairs as a kid, like, for random stuff. You know, I, I would... I would participate in book fairs. Like I was already on that wave, but I was, but being from the South, like I had a football family. So genetically, like I was just like probably pre, what's the word I'm looking Predisposed. For? Predisposed mm-hmm. to like being good in sports. So I just did it because I was good and I stayed in shape and it was cool. Like I would hang out with friends. But I actually remember, man, we lost, uh, we went to like the third round of championships in high school. And I distinctly remember this because we lost and I was sad for like maybe a week. Everyone was devastated for like a very long time. And I remember like, man, what are we about to do next? Like, it felt like, what's next? Mm-hmm. You know, like it felt, but not like I'm about to go. I just felt like, yo, what, like, what are we about to do? Like, this is it. And I distinctly remember friends being like, what you mean, bro? We're like, if we didn't win this championship, like, that's it. Like, we not going nowhere. I'm like, that can't be, like, this can't be like the plateau right. of life, like this high school championship. So... I don't know. I think I just always had that, like, just that awareness. Like, I used to read after practice, you know what I mean? Like, I had other interests. I was a, I was like a peer-to-peer counselor. Like, I always had, like, a connection with people. So, sports weren't just, like, it was never my focal point. I just was naturally good at it. So, Mm -hmm. I think people assumed it. I actually went through, like, a lot, a lot of backlash with my family when I told them that I wasn't playing football in college. Like, my dad would literally call me, like, every semester, like, hey, what the coach say? I'd be like... (laughs) And that boy talk about something. I don't know. Like he had in his office. They they senior year, he was like, "Man, you're not gonna play, are you?" I was like, "Senior year, he was still asking the question." Yeah, yeah, like I got family still in Louisiana that still like roast me to this day for not playing football in college. But it's good. It's all good. So you get into politics, decide you have an interest in policy, and 
set your sights on grad school. Right. What was your intention in going to grad school? I know you said that you wanted to move to the policy side, but did you have an idea of what your career could look like? I have the like most like rose-eyed idea. Like, I'm gonna go <laughs> get this master's. I'm about to produce policy in the legislature, and then I'm about to like change the world for everybody. And man, it was just not how it worked out mm -hmm. at all. Like I will be going to school, learning about political theory, learning about theories on how policy gets passed. Now I struggle with theory because obviously you have to make like unrealistic assumptions sometimes right. in theory. So the whole time I'm like, why are we reading this? Like second, other side to that is I'm working in the legislature. So I'm working in um, Pomona for an, an assembly bin at the time. And what I'm reading and what I'm seeing in real life don't add up. So, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't, I didn't really care for politics, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want to politic with you. Like, if I don't like you, I don't like you. Right. Or if you don't like me, you don't got to act like you don't like me. I get that we can be diplomatic, but I didn't really like rubbing elbows just to make a move, like chess move like that, right? Like, you know, I would rather do an analysis and say like, hey, when you're ready, this policy works. Like, we've done the numbers. Mm -hmm. Here's how I plays out. But I was doing like a lot of kind of representation work and a lot of just like rubbing shoulders and, you know, going to events and stuff like that, which is important. Like you need those relationships, but that's not really what I signed up for mm -hmm. in my head. Now, maybe I was wrong in the sense that I just didn't see the game for what it was at a young age. But, you know, I really just kind of thought that I was going to be able to just come in and, you know, present those hard hitting, like those evidences that people needed, like they were just missing the facts. Right. But in reality, like they had all the facts. It was, we just didn't have any leverage. So started seeing that. And, uh, you know, that's when I realized like, okay, there's more to it than just a good policy. Like you need relationships, you need political leverage, you need social capital, you need all these things that were way right out of my wheelhouse at the time. So... So at some point you made the decision to to move away from policy and politics and go into for-profit space. Yeah. Did you feel defeated? Like, I'm not going to be able to make the headway or the impact here that I thought? Or was it just like, I'm going to go get to this money because this is not going to work anyway? No, I got some of the best advice I got from one of my professors was uh, the thing about like my school, I went to Claremont Graduate University. The school is really good for bringing out practitioners. So people that are in the field and also like writing books. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of my professors, he brings in the mayor of Long Beach, Bob Foster at the time. Mayor of Long Beach comes in, puts his like cowboy boots on the table and just kicks his feet up and was like, yeah, let's just talk. And some of the best advice he said was, he said, Democrat, he said, Republicans make their money first and then go into politics. Democrats go into politics, then make their money. <laughs> I was like, touche. Like that makes sense. And it kind of, what he was getting at was like, have something on your own mm -hmm. so that way you can govern freely. So he was saying like, you need, you should probably A, go get a real skill first. Then once you get that skill, monetize it. Once you monetize it, like save something up so you don't have to be bought every time. And then once that happens, come back and govern freely so you don't have to be a slave to whatever is happening around you and you can govern with a clear conscience. And I really appreciate that advice. Like, you know, most, like, no, I just hadn't heard that before. Right. And I respected it. And it kind of meshed well with me not liking the political aspect of politics. Like, and so the other side to it is like, I started enjoying analytics. Like I really started, like I was really good at modeling and like econometric regression analysis and like really proving out 
the impact of information. And so using that information to make recommendations. And that is what led to my decision to go corporate because I wanted to double down on my analytical expertise. Mm-hmm. So I was like, if I can hone my skills as an analyst, maybe build up a nest egg to where maybe I'll run for some kind of office later in life. But from a position where I know when a policy gets, when something comes across my desk, like I know how to read it. I know how to do an economic impact analysis and see like what's really happening. And so, so it was kind of with good conscience that I went into the private sector, right? So very calculated. Um, and I, cause I, I did that. I worked in the legislature for about a year. Then I took about three months before I graduated and just like focused on private sector jobs. Mm-hmm. So did this, the analytical skills and the ability to crunch numbers and do all this modeling come naturally? Yeah, I mean, when it didn't come naturally at first, like I really wasn't good at math first, but once it got to stuff that mattered, like once you kind of put in the framework of like, hey, do we invest in this or do we not invest in this? Like that's different from like Y equals MX plus B, you know what I mean? So like those that was like, it kind of jumped out at me a little bit more. And uh, then I ended up like, once I took my first class, I chose, and I kind of saw that I, I can like pick it up a little bit. I, was, I chose a quantitative methodology major. So mm. I doubled down on the skill. So I was getting like political theory, but I was also getting like hardcore stats, like statistic, proven statistical significance, like all these things. And um, so it didn't necessarily come naturally, but once I got it, I got it, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I saw the impact of it, like, and that's actually how I got my first job because you kind of have to, when you like do TV analysis, like it's really hard to say like, hey, someone saw this commercial. So, you know, like we don't know how many boxes of Oreos that they, that made them purchase. So you kind of have to do like a model to say like, hey, this many TV impressions usually leads to this many Oreos. And so like that political aspect of it actually is what I like that political analysis aspect of it, actually, what got me my first job in corporate, like very niche. So I think the issue that sometimes 26ers in particular have is that they have natural talent that that sometimes they don't recognize until it's been cultivated a little bit. They know they have a skill set and a skill set that could be valuable, but they don't know how to effectively communicate it and position themselves for the right opportunities, especially when they've gone into an academic program for a specific purpose, policy, and then... They don't know how to pivot when things are not quite working out. So how did you really position yourself for these for-profit companies to see you as a viable candidate? Yeah, um, it's hard to say because I'm not like a great salesman either. Mm -hmm. Like I'm kind of, I don't know, like I'm just very like I can or I can't, you know, like I'm really not in between the lines. And so you act like when you bring me in an interview, like, do I know everything about media? Probably not. But can I tell you based on like an analysis, what media platform you should be on? Yeah. And so when you're in that kind of space, like you either can do the job or you can't. Like you mm-hmm. can't really like, you don't have to, like if you're in corporate, you don't really have time to teach someone like how to do analytics. You can teach them like the business. Mm-hmm. You can teach them like a tool, but you don't really have the time to like teach somebody like how to set up a testing framework. You know what I mean? And so with that, like, I just had that skill. And so like once, and you know, like a little polish up, like fresh haircut, (laughs) but this is before the curls. (laughs) So you get like a fresh haircut and then like, you know, nice smile, like you could do the job. It's not that, not that, well, it wasn't that hard. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have a tough time, like coming through to the corporate side, you know? So what was that first job in, in a very niche area? Yeah, so I was doing a commercial, like TV analytics, like commercials, and uh, just like really doing 
like really helping companies like decide like, hey, what network should I be on? Like, should I be on Fox News? Should I be on CNN? And then what does that look like versus like a BET or, you know, should I be on HGTV, whatever? Mm -hmm. So that looks like onboarding a client like, hey, we want to run a TV campaign. So then they'll give us the budget. So like, hey, based on this, like your company values, like we think you'll over-index in these categories. And then these are the channels that fit your profile or whatever unless it's something ubiquitous like an oreo or something mm -hmm. where anyone's gonna eat an oreo like you know you gotta break it down <laughs> to like a demographic or something but um and then from there like when they run ads you get the data back and you kind of just like do your modeling work you say okay like based on what we see we expect this much roi but if it's an e-commerce client you can kind of like deterministically tell like so there's a difference between selling a bag of chips and selling a shoe online like if I sell a shoe online, like I know that at some point, like when someone saw a commercial, like maybe a few more people went to the website than usual. I can say like, okay, like those people that went to the website looks a little bit different from the average amount of people that are going to come to your website. So maybe that's because TV, mm -hmm. you see what I'm saying? So it's kind of like hard to say this is why, but you kind of look for like those little blips in traffic and then you can say like, okay, like this is where we're coming from. So now when you actually got into a role where you could utilize your skill, were you like, yeah, this is my life's work. Like, I was meant to do this. Or was it more like, this is a job and I'm cool with it? Nah, it was kind of like, this is tight that I could actually get paid mm -hmm. to do this. And then it went from like, oh, I actually have to do this. Like, I'm at a job. <laughs> <laughs> like, politics is really chill. Like, you can mm -hmm. come in, like, you can maneuver around, like, you can finagle. But like, corporate, like, you got to be there. And it depends you just on- got to show up. got to yes. show up. I remember driving to work. I'm like, I'm responsible for my own life now. Like, <laughs> It really hit me. I was driving down. I was driving to work one day, but it was good. I was excited just to put these new skills to use. Like, mm -hmm. it's one thing if you learn this stuff and like how much stuff did you learn in school that you use now? Right. Right. So like me to go pay for this expensive master's degree and actually like take the stuff and put it into market. It's like a completely different ballgame. And so I felt good about that. But yeah. So did you get to a point in that job where you were like, all right, this is cool. I realized that I, I can thrive and do well in this environment, but what's next? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm here now. So mm -hmm. like, I wanted to kind of go where the action was. So like, do you have cable? Not anymore, but at one point I did. <laughs> so like, imagine doing all this stuff, like I'm coming up in a dying industry. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, this is not that tight. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so coming up in like a TV industry, like you're talking to people, they're like, yo, we need to like double down on our TV budget. And I'm like, we should probably like, I don't watch TV. Like these ads will never, like, I will never <laughs> right. see the stuff that I recommend. So that's when I was just like, oh, let me go into the digital space. Obviously, like you got your Facebook, YouTube, like your search, you got um you know, programmatic display, like all these channels, podcasting is actually mm -hmm. doing really well now. Like a lot of people are starting to do ads on these uh, platforms. So it's just like a more exciting time. It's kind of like the wild west of media right now. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Facebook could say like, hey, no more Instagram story advertising. Like now everyone has to figure out like where to ship that dollar, what, you know what I'm saying? So it's pretty interesting. Like keep showing your toes, keeps you sharp. But it was like, I started seeing that and I was like, oh, like maybe I should go to the digital side, you know, pick up that skill and, uh, that's when I came to New York, and uh, now I'm here. I'm always fascinated by the people who still have cable. Because, like, pretty much, so like, 95% of the people that I know don't have it. And I haven't had it for so long, I don't even remember, like, exactly. when I canceled it. Um, but there's a small pocket of the population who, who holds on to it. Right. But, I mean, and I, I think that's just, like, old habits die hard. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you could watch a football game on Twitter, like... 
you know, CBS, like, I don't know, who knows, like, in five years, where's the Super Bowl going to mm-hmm. be aired at? Like, who knows? I don't know. So, I mean, I get it, like, people are still holding on to it, but, you know, it's probably, like, a small faction of what's really happening right. in the world. But, yeah. So, how was that shift moving from the West Coast to, to New York? Man, honestly, I feel like I'm on a giant vacation. Really? I, I honestly, and this is no disrespect to New York, I don't feel like this is home. So, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm just experiencing someone else's environment. So, like, even when the weather's bad, people would be like, man, I hate it outside, or it's hot, or it's cold. I'd be like, man, this is cool. And they'd be like, why do you, why, like, why are you not? Man, I'm like, this is not my home, you know? <laughs> like, I'm going to go back to California at some point. But, nah, man, New York is good, man. Like, I've, I've just really been appreciating everything. Like, I'm just really trying to just soak it up. Like, I really just wanted to come here. So, I did the South, I did West Coast. Like, I felt like I owed it to myself to come experience people in the East Coast, in New York, so... So I've, I've spent some time in the Bay, never lived out there, but had been back and forth several right. times. And one of the things that I found really fascinating, and like I knew it about the South, but I didn't really think I knew it about the Bay, is that there is sort of a laid back quality to it. And yeah. like, you have a meeting with people and they're like, oh, yeah, let's meet around one. And I'm like, right. coming from New York, I'm like, what does that mean? Are we meeting at one? Are we meeting at 1245? Or are we meeting at 115, right? Any one of those. Right. It could be any one of those. Yeah. People are very chill, even in professional sort of corporate environments. There's a different intensity, you know, here in New York. Did yeah. you find that you had to make the adjustment? I think I naturally made the adjustment. Mm-hmm. Like, people at my job still think I'm unnecessarily laid back. But, I mean, that's just how we are. Like, <laughs> I'm not about to stress over mm-hmm. any of this. Like, I'm going to do what I got to do, and I'll be there. Like, I'll be at your meeting on time. But, you know, I'm not like, like, people, you guys got energy. Like, yeah. You guys got very intense energy, like, back to back to back. Like, your subways here. I mean, people are moving around. Like, mm-hmm. you're going from borough to borough. You're going from job to happy hour to work out, to meet up with your girls, to, like, you guys are just going. Like, it's, there's, like, energy. I guess that's just the best way I could describe it, but I don't have that. Like, <laughs> I just be like, yeah, we could do it, I guess. You know, like, very, very open. Like, I might be there, I might not. Like, I don't know. You can you can really tell, like, the tell. New York. I can tell. You okay. definitely have a Bay Area vibe. Okay. But you can tell, like, the people who are, like, really New York versus the others just by the pace yeah. at which they walk down the street. Right. Like, I, I can't deal with slow walkers, but that's just because I am that person who is on to the next thing at all I times. Live, like, when I rock with groups, literally, they leave me. Because <laughs> where are we going? And, like, why are we rushing there? Like, we going to be there when we get there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the purpose of moving so fast to this next spot? But what I find interesting about that in relation to the, the field that you're in, right, yeah. is because, first of all, when you're talking about digital and media and all those things, it's all about the innovation and what's next. Right. And we got to get a jump and we got to be ahead of the curve. We have to innovate. Right. So I would think that you would have adopted some of that energy. How have you maintained this sense of self? I mean, I don't know. I just don't like put my ego in it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, like if Facebook crashes tomorrow, like, I'm not going to be devastated. Like, we just got to find a new place to roll those dollars into. So, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm just pretty practical, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this stuff could go away. Like, we could all be doing something different. Like, everything's moving fast, you know? But I'm able to keep up in the sense that, like, I'm still ambitious. I'm still hungry. I'm just not, like, overly anticipating things, you know? Like, let's test something. Let's try it out. Um, like, I, I kind of, it's pretty weird. Like, my team, like, so I kind of, how it works is, like, I have people that run media and I kind of sit back and do, like, supportive analytics and, like, okay. infrastructural data work. So a bunch of people, like, run a bunch of ads. Like, this person is doing Facebook, this person doing Twitter. They both give me that data and I, like, process it. So literally, like, they'll be launching stuff. Like, they're going so fast. But 
I implemented a process where I'm like, hey, like you guys have, you have to tell me a week ahead of time before data comes in. So now I have time to process. Like I get that you guys want hit fire, but you're like, I'm risking my integrity by mm-hmm. trying to play catch up with you guys. So you guys just give me a week heads up. I can build in code that's going to scrape all that data for you and bring it in. But I just need time. Like I don't work like that. And so I just set those boundaries too, you know, like. Here's what it is, man. Like, I know you want to, I know you guys are excited. You want to get this to the client. If you don't follow these protocols, like, it's not going to be there. Mm -hmm. And the team respects me. I think they really trust that I'm coming from a place of, like, diligence and not a place of, like, laziness. Because I want to make sure that their work is good. You know, we all shine together. So, um, so, I mean, I just kind of, like, built it around, like, who I am, you know. But I'm definitely always down to do new stuff. Let's just do it right, you know. And speaking of doing new stuff, I know that you've branched off and created another arm to your personal brand. Talk about Savvy XL. Uh, so I love that segue. Actually. <laughs> Fuego. Nah, Savvy XL, man. So the thing about the reason I started Savvy XL is essentially what it is, is what I've taken over the past few years of being in business. And I felt like I was missing that. The reason I got into politics was to help people. Mm-hmm. Currently in business, I'm just helping myself and my clients. So I started Savvy Excel for just up and coming professionals that I think have natural talent, like you said, but just kind of need that hard skill, right? Like people that would probably do well if they didn't have such a hard learning curve Mm -hmm. for like the technical stuff. And so it kind of birthed out of me getting to a place where like I was good in my day to day at work, but I needed like a creative outlet as well. And so I was like, well, I'll just put this curriculum together to help people. Like I wanted a mutually beneficial exchange. Like I didn't want it to be like, oh, I sold a t-shirt. Now you just have a t-shirt. Like, no, if I sell you something, I want you to walk away in a better position than when you left. And so I started this program, um, which I call it the Pyramid of Excellence. Oh, I see you. Okay, I felt it. So how it works is like, I just walk through the foundations, like formatting data, getting everything into like a clean spreadsheet, then I go from that to the next layer of the pyramid is um, data processing. So I get that into a, a, a place where you're like, okay, this is where you get into your functions, where mm-hmm. you get into your formulas, like your lookup, your pivot table, kind of like working the nitty gritty of like what it means to make Excel your own. And then I get into the storytelling aspect of it. So we're talking like data visualizations tables. And then the final capstone of the pyramid is automation. Mm-hmm. So I teach people how to just, if you're doing something on a weekly basis, you might as well automate it and how to automate that. Like, right. You know, it'd be better to like write a function. Like a, if you're going to look at, if you're going to do like a V lookup, I don't know if you use Excel or not mm-hmm. day to day. So like, if you're going to do a V lookup versus when you should use an index match or something like that, like how to set up a spreadsheet to work for you. And so you're just like cutting off the time that you're doing, like working in Excel from day to day. So I built this curriculum, really just like the core necessities. Like I don't go into like a bunch of stuff, but really just like honing those hard skills that are going to make you good in Excel. And then you could probably go Google whatever else you want to know. But um, I started that because I just wanted to help people. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like I had a really ridiculous learning curve for Excel. And because I was doing like a lot of economic analysis and like TV analytics and stuff early, like I had to learn a lot of stuff on the fly. And so once I got that, I felt pretty good about it. And so I just decided to roll it out in a way that people can like really digest it. Like I got, you know, some of my students have been people that are like 35 and Mm -hmm. trying to like branch out to like new sections of corporate America. And some people are like HR people that look like their boss left and now they're responsible for like a bunch of spreadsheets that they have no idea how to handle. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really for just people that are really trying to just get good at these technical skills. So And what's your vision for Savvy XL? Is this something you see yourself kind of always doing on the side as a way to help advance people in this space? Or do you envision that one day you'll build it out into something more? 
I'm still developing it. Mm-hmm. I think as Savvy grows, like when I first started, like I really just organically was just helping my friends. Like I had a buddy, actually, I had a, it's my line brother. He was going through his MBA and he uh, had like an Excel project and everyone in his class was doing like this one problem wrong. And he was like, we keep getting it wrong. And I did it like 20 minutes, walked him through it. He was like, bro, this is it. Like, I don't know what else you're doing, but you need to do more of this. And it was super organic. I was like, oh, that's tight. Okay. Then like a couple other people, like I was helping people at work. And so I said that to say it started really organic. So I'm still developing the vision for it. Like maybe, you know, we could roll it out to like, you know, college students. Like, I don't know, you know, um, I'm still developing it though. Mm -hmm. But I think as long as people are entering corporate America and as long as people are like using Excel, like as long as that's like the framework for a lot of businesses, then I'm pretty sure Savvy Excel will be around. Mm-hmm. So, and with regard to your own skill set, um, because because of what you're able to do, right? There's there's going to be a job for you always. Um, but do you have those moments where you think, how do I expand and and how do I um, build upon my skill sets and make myself more attractive in the market or diversify? Yeah, but it's not necessarily to make myself more attractive in the market. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking about getting into machine learning and some AI. AI, yeah. And I just have a genuine interest. I think one thing that sparked my interest was um, this documentary I watched recently on Netflix about, like, the Trump presidency, mm-hmm. like, the group. I forgot what it was called. I know exactly the one you're talking about. Though, but yeah. mm-hmm. as they were talking, I was like, oh, that's actually, like, outside of what they did, it's actually pretty good, you know, from, like, a data perspective. So I'm like, yeah, we had AI, like, we had, like, machine learning algorithms that could, like, just pick out stuff that we can't see to help day-to-day people, like, if someone that was like not great with their finances had like a machine learning personal algorithm or something like that, that could help them like just build a personal portfolio. Like I know that people like already do that, but to scale it on that kind of way, is something I was just thinking about like, oh, that would actually be good to learn. So not necessarily to make me more competitive, but just mm-hmm. for the, some of the stuff that I'm just actually interested in. Like I still have a very, I want to help humanity element to like the things that I do, but you know, I don't really worry about like marketplace competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Like some companies are always going to be on the spectrum of competitive and not. So like some people are going to be doing AI advanced stuff. And some people are just going to be like in their little pivot tables, like just figuring <laughs> out what's going on. And so I'm pretty sure I like I'll fall somewhere in that distribution. But yeah, so I don't really worry about competitiveness, but I do want to pick up some new skills. So so as you continue to advance in your your current uh, company, what kind of clients do you get to work with? Um, so I'm working with, uh, I don't know, like if I'm allowed to say, but you don't I'm, have to name them. <laughs> yeah. I'm working with a pretty big, um, I work well over the years I've worked with, I worked in the e-commerce auto industry. Mm-hmm. I worked, um, done, I've done a lot of e-commerce at my last company. And like, I worked for like a razor company, pretty big brand name. Um, I worked for one of the DNA testing companies, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting, a uh, piece of business. And uh, now I currently work for uh, a big, um, co-working space company. So one of the clients, so I've been able to touch like a bunch of different businesses. Mm -hmm. So So one thing I do find fascinating outside of your professional experience is that you've, even though you don't call New York your home, you've come here, you put down roots and you've been in a loving relationship with your beautiful girlfriend here for what, three years? Yeah, Mesco Mila. Yeah, three years, (laughs) holding down. So one of the things that I think a lot of women, especially Black women talk about is that, you know, black men, they have these careers, they've been to school, 
they have things going for them, yeah. um, but they don't want to settle down. They, they come to New York mm -hmm. and they feel like the world is their oyster. They're just options on options on options, right? right? And you've done the complete opposite of that and you've moved into a loving, healthy relationship and acknowledged that this woman is the total package. So what do you think, um, why do you think that your approach is so different than a lot of other guys? Especially in your age bracket. I mean, let me preface to say that like, like when I'm in a relationship, I am in a full in a relationship. And when I'm not, I'm just not. So mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I just kind of rationalize it as like, you know what it's like to not be in a relationship, but then you know what it's like to not be in a relationship and want to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like, you are where you are, you know? And so like, I don't necessarily have a philosophy or an approach to say like, hey, like I'm this age, this is where I need to be in life in a relationship. It's more like me and Mila just have like a great existence. Like mm -hmm. we are just saying like, we don't even live together, but we still are together. And DeMarcus is like, yo, people stay together because they live together. <laughs> that is very much a New York yeah. thing. So like, it's not, I don't know, our, our dynamic is always like based on just where we are and just like being the most authentic version of ourselves. Like, I mean, we have these real conversations. We have, you know, she be hitting me with the hardcore feminist rhetoric. <laughs> and I'll be like, I mean, I respect it, you know, like, if that's how y'all feel, that's how y'all feel, but... Tell me you don't say it like that, though. Nah, nah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, like, I gotta be real, too. Like, if you tell me what you're going through, I gotta tell you what I'm going through, right? Mm -hmm. Like, here's my perspective on where you're coming from. But I'm always, like, I know, I'm just... I'm always listening, like, learning. Like, I didn't really... To be real with you, I didn't even know what women were going through maybe, like, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Just not off being disrespectful, just being oblivious. Like, if you're, like, if you're a single man... At any age, you're probably not thinking like, yo, what are the struggles of? Right. So like once I got in a relationship, I was like, dang, what y'all been talking about? Like, that's crazy, you know? So like she'll like her and her friends and like her homegirls and all this, like I'll, I'll lend an ear and be like, okay, like I see where you guys are coming from. Like I see where things could be problematic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I agree, hey, like I respect that and I could take that with me and I can learn from that. Sometimes I disagree though, respectfully, of course. That's healthy. Yeah, healthy healthy that, disagreement like, is good. I get where you guys are coming from, but nah, it's good. I'm just being the most authentic version of me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I think we just work together pretty well, right? You guys vibe well. You compliment each other. I can see that for yeah. sure. She got the curls right. <laughs> I respect that. Yes. So tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. I think when it comes to savvy Excel, like I know Excel. Mm -hmm. I know it well. And although I work for advertising agencies, I really don't know how to market myself to the best of my ability. So I'm still learning that. And so... On those nights where I'm working like late on an analysis, or I'm working late on like getting a report together, like from a bunch of different data sources, like I have to go in and teach a class to like someone that has no idea what a pivot table is. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about like, it might be like 9.30 at night where I've literally put in like a really long day and coming from scratch to like something that I own and something that like my first real venture coming out into like pouring, like taking whatever I have left energy wise, because I know that that person is relying on me to give them an explanation of like how this can better their life and better their work. So um, just on like those day to days where it's been like a long day, but it's really taken a lot to like explain how to use a pivot table, like how to filter, how to check for errors. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you do? Would you get errors? Like this could take, you know, this is a very difficult Thing to explain. Like, if you look on YouTube, like, all the material is not that great on right. Excel data, Excel processes. So, you know, just 
taking the time, like just building, being in that space, like, you know, any entrepreneur, any person that's like building something like knows what it's like to like come home after a long day at work and then still grind it out. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm actually having clients now. Like it took off a little bit faster than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. So now it's not like, oh, I'm building a website. It's like, I have four people that want to know a concept that they have no idea how to use. And so, you know, it really takes like being, going the extra mile every time that I'm hop on that video call with that person, you know? So I think, uh, I mean, it wasn't like a concrete example, but, you know. But but it's valid, yeah. especially especially for the demographic that listens to this show, um, because one of the things that, you know, we often say is this is the show is how I'm building this, not how yeah. I built this. And there are many people who are partpreneurs. They have jobs and then they're trying to get this other hustle off the ground. And it's all great until you've had a long, stressful day and now you've got a poor energy into this right. other thing that is your baby. And if you don't do it, there's nobody up the chain yep. that's going to do it for you or what have you, which is a blessing and a curse. Because on the one hand, it's there's, it's a blessing because like I don't have anybody to answer to. So if I don't do X, Y, and Z for my business, I'm only hurting myself. Um, but the curse is that if you want the business to be successful, you have to do it. Like exactly. you, you, you have to um, really buckle down. And I was, I saw a clip the other day that Diddy posted and it was a like a throwback from making the band when it was literally the band. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about how at his level, 90% of the things that he has to do every day, he doesn't want to do. Right. You know, it, it, it still is a, a grind. Serena Williams has mentioned that. That's she hates working out. And I think sometimes really? people, yeah, she has said that, that she does not enjoy working out. How can you be out. a champion at that level? Exactly. But this is, so my, this is my point. You can be inherently good, about it, good at something. You can even be passionate about it, but still have aspects that are necessary tools to be successful in that area that you do not like. And it could be critical things. There are things about being a lawyer that I really can't stand. Um, but it's a necessary component right. to get to the other pieces that I am very, very committed to and very passionate about. I appreciate you saying that because mm -hmm. I was like, I was starting to get down on myself mm -hmm. for like not having that like hustle grind every yeah. time. Like sometimes you do have to pull it out the trenches. And I was like, I should be more motivated. Mm -hmm. Like I should be, but I don't know. I think if Serena Williams doesn't want to work out sometime. When I heard that, and it was like a few years ago, but it has stuck with me because you would think that this that yeah. she's like up gym bag at the door every day at 4.30 a.m. Like, no, I'm a champion. Well, that's how you they know? make it seem now. Yeah. Like, they make it seem like everyone's like getting up at like 5 a.m. Mm -hmm. like grind it out. And like when you start, you're like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. Right. Until you hit that moment where you're like, actually, I don't feel like doing this today. <laughs> exactly. And I'm actually listening to this, this book, um... I don't even remember the title, but it's by Laura Vanderkam about what the most successful people do before 8 a.m. Or, yeah. or something. And one of the things that she mentions in the book is that you, you just like with money, you're supposed to pay yourself first before you pay your bills. With time, you should give yourself that time in the morning before you dedicate your day and your efforts to, to your work or what have you, which I get in theory. But to your point, if the nature of your business is such that you've got to schedule classes with your clients at the end of the day, that's just not always feasible. Yeah. So I think where we do need to extend grace to ourselves is that sometimes our lives are set up in a way where whatever is left in your tank at the end of the day, it's just what has to be given to your, 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 your passion or whatever it is that you're working on, your project. And sometimes that means that it's not going to be the most energetic, best version of yourself because it's the end of the day. Literally, 
That's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I and I think overachievers and people who are, you know, nerds at heart and want to be successful, we are hard on ourselves, but yeah. that's just human nature. And unless you're like a musician who gets started in the afternoon, yeah. it's going to be very hard to give 110 at 930 at night when right. you've gone to a day job and try to keep yourself healthy and hydrate and eat, you know, eat relatively healthy yeah. and go to the gym. It's a lot. That, throwing that extra gym time on there is ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But now nah, I really appreciate that, though, because I was actually just having these thoughts like earlier. Going through a similar thing, so. Yeah, and I, it's something that, like, I'm continuously reminding myself that some days this is as good as it's going to get today. Yeah. And that's okay. Because, you know, I tried and I did what I could. Yeah. But it's not going to be beast mode all the time. It's just <laughs> it's, not. It's not real. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. Um. So shifting gears a bit, in, in the current political climate, do you ever feel a, feel a pull, like, I wish I was back in that space or I want to go back in that space. Yeah, I I took a hiatus during the last election. Like I just couldn't. It was too negative. It was too it was too much energetically for me. Mm -hmm. This election, I think I'm way more protective of like emotion. Yeah. And just learning how to just see like, okay, this is what this person's about, this is what this person's about, this is what this person's about. So I've been following a lot more. Um and honestly, I like Yang. I like his perspective on issues that I don't think we've really thought about, mm -hmm. like AI and, you know, just American workers and how he kind of like reverse engineered Trump's presidency. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, I like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of a lot of people, um, you know, but I have been following a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I'm, you know, starting to get back into it a little bit, but, uh, I think ultimately I'll come in at a, I think I got like a few more years before I really like make that the main plat like platform that mm -hmm. I work on. But. but I could see you, granted, I haven't known you for that long, but I, I could see you making the switch into politics in a way where it's almost a hybrid. You're, you're, you're making a, a difference, but also you're taking the skill set. Um, that you have and for your own profitability as well. So it's literally driving and, and moving things forward, but in a way that is still financially beneficial to you as well. There are plenty of people doing that yeah. in, in politics and on the Hill. Yeah, they're making their way. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know, maybe some kind of consulting yeah. policy situation. I mean, I got friends that are working in, on the Hill and, you know, like talking to them, like homies in D.C., like they're killing it. I got homies that worked in Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. and, you know, so it's always like, man, I see y'all out there doing it, but... You know, just being patient, like, I don't know, I just kind of trust my lane, trust mm -hmm. my route. But uh, And short term, what's on the horizon for you? I think I really just want to clean up savvy. Mm -hmm. I think I got, like, a couple professional aspirations I'll probably hit next year or so. Mm -hmm. But um, really just want to clean up and, like, get it more rolling, a little bit more automated. I think 2020, I'm still going to be doing live Excel trainings, but uh, probably like 2021, maybe mm -hmm. some like automated classes where I don't kind of got to sit there, but kind of like weekly check-ins on people's progress. Mm -hmm. a bit. So I think I just want to keep that live aspect. That way I can know what people are dealing with. And then like once I build out a system for it, like I'll just be able to like make sure that I hit everything. So. And before we start to wrap this up, what are you currently using on your hair these days? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went to Curl Fest. 
had a great time. Um, no, I'm so I was using Cantor, mm-hmm. and my homegirl at work was like, "You gotta stop using Cantor." So I was like, and they also changed the formula on us, like, uh, that's what yeah. Said. So it's not as good as it used to be. Some kind of like diabolical mm-hmm. formula switch. Yeah. I don't know. They took out the secret sauce or whatever. So this was before Curlfest, and then I uh, like Mila and like our, my roommate Emu. They went to go get food. And I was like, I think this is my one opportunity just to try everything. <laughs> so I let them get food. And I did like laps around just to get like a bunch of products. And so uh, I just tried Afro Love. And I've been trying to find it everywhere. But I guess it's like one of those products that aren't out yet. Like, right. The, but you kind of like, you like it. So I'm going to have to start ordering that online. What else I've been using? I think uh, I like Main Choice 3-in-1 mm-hmm. on like a daily basis. It smells really good. And it's a good co-wash. Um, I like the three-in-one. And then I like, what else am I using? I don't know. I'm just trying. I'm just trying stuff right now. It, it's hard not to be a product junkie when you have, like, I have my routine. It works. It's staying what it is. What's but I went. So shout out to Tamika McNeil Johnson and Jaded Trusses, who has her own line, Curl Crush, okay. um, which is. Are they in New York? They are in New York. Yeah. So I, I'll have to hook you up with some products Jeez. from her. Um, so she maintains my hair. She's been maintaining my hair since I cut the relaxer out of it. Um, and we've gone through some different iterations of products and routines. I did the whole trying a million things. Then she came out with her own line. So my routine is like consistent. I don't buy anything new. Like it, it, no. You're on fire right now. No, listen, I, I don't play about my hair. It, it, I, I know what works for me and I do not deviate, right? Okay. So I'm a wash, condition, use her mask. And she does my hair a lot too. So that's okay. the other thing. My hair is so long now that she handles it. Yeah, I um, I'm, I'm going to hook you up. I'm telling you, it's going to, your, your curls are popping. She's going to take you up to the next level. Um, and then... <laughs> and then um, we do a, a curl butter that's hers and a gel together, both yeah. hers. So jadedtrusses.com. You can check out online. People ask me about my hair all the time and I'm if always sending her to her side. Where would you be? So she has taught me like how to do my hair myself. My problem is I have too much hair on my head and it's too long. So I don't really like to do it myself. Um, but if I'm on vacation or whatever, I let it just rock. So I use this. I do the same thing, but it's just not going to last as long because I did it in my hair. I just am not going to care as much. So my hair is a lot wilder when that when that happens. Yeah. You know, I need to. Uh, I'm not good at detangling. Mm-hmm. Like I really want to be though. Yeah. Felicia Leatherwood, her detangling brush. Okay. Is like. It, it, it is a gift from God. That is the plug. Yes. And even my hairdresser endorses endorses that brush. Don't ask me why. It is so great, but it changed my detangling game. Yeah, I'm all about it. Like, I'm a student. Oh, yeah. We, we're going to do like a knowledge transfer. But shout out to your girlfriend, Mila, because as I understand it, you were ready to cut your hair. Yeah, I was definitely about to chop it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How to get that fade back. But uh, nah, because here's the real story. I was like putting lotion in my hair. Lotion? It's okay. Oh, okay. I mean, I came from waves, so like, <laughs> once your waves get a little bit longer, you just like, okay, you know, and you get body lotion though. I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't like grabbing lotion for my hair. It was just like one of those face. That yeah. that is such a guy thing to do. That's what we do. Okay. So, I didn't know there was like a culture behind this. So like, mm-hmm. I thought I was just growing my hair. <laughs> I didn't know there was like a lifestyle. I was like, okay, like you know, girls growing their hair, like mm-hmm. doing it, they and then my hair grew got a little bit longer, but it had like a little curl to it. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know. So then I just let it go. But then I didn't really realize, like. 
like main maintenance. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this is a lifestyle. Like, oh yeah, it's, it's, like it's not it's not a game. Society of like hair influencers, and y'all like killing it right now. Oh yeah, and, and there's a whole like products don't work for you, passing them off to other people. It's yeah, it's it's like a co-op in, in yeah, and of itself. So. Yeah, I'm honored to just like I'm a spectator. You know, I'm just. I mean, you're in it. Look, look at the hair on your head. You're in it. You went to Curl Fest. I mean, I, I think you remember now. Yeah. Okay. I'm initiated. <laughs> but I'm gonna hook you up. I'm gonna hook you up. We're gonna we're gonna take it up another level. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you online? Uh, so you guys can find Savvy Excel at SavvyExcel.com. Uh, contact information is on there. You can email me with just like questions or um, and it, I'll answer like Excel questions too. So like mm-hmm. if someone has an issue or they just want like a little one off, you can just email me. and We can like chop it up. Uh, Instagram savvy at savvy excel and then personal IG is Demariano Jamal D E M A R I A N O J A M A L. Cool. So listen to 26ers. We are all about picking up new skills here and and advancing our marketability in our respective industries. So to those of you who are trying to figure out what your lane is and have an interest in analytics or trying to beef up your skills, we support our own around here. We especially support Black businesses. So check out Savvy Excel. Check out what Mariano's doing. I have a feeling in maybe 15 years or so, we're going to see some article in the Washington Post about how you're the mastermind behind some campaign. It's going to happen. I'm, I'm calling it now. I think it's going to happen. Feel that. I'm telling you, I, I know it when I see it. There's something special there. Um, but as always, remember to like, share, subscribe to this podcast, and just all Always remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.